Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I am Carlos Galazzo, joined again by Kyle Glazer. Yesterday we talked Dodgers. Today we are talking Padres, the top system in baseball. Uh, this one's exciting, obviously, the number one system. Kyle, uh, the Padres at the major league level have not exactly had a lot of success lately. Uh, they've had losing seasons, I believe, eight of the, la- the last eight years they've had losing seasons at the major league level. Um, but with the number one system, the amount of depth they have in arms, the amount of hitters they have in the high minors ready to kind of make an impact on the major league team, hopefully that'll change for them. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, before we talk into some of these players as usual, just what's the, the kind of overall breakdown of the Padres system as a whole and their major league situation? I mean, you hit on it. Eight straight losing seasons. That's the second longest active stretch in baseball behind only the Marlins. On top of that, the Padres internally expected last year to be a year where maybe some things start to turn upward, mm-hmm. and instead they went 66 and 96, which was the worst record of any of those eight losing seasons. Yeah, the year prior they went 71 and 91, so that's a five-game drop. Obviously, not the the right direction. You're not trending the right direction. So yeah, you know, again, it was, it was their worst record of all those losing seasons, and a lot of the prospects they were counting on, kind of you know, coming up and and helping at least get this process started have struggled. Uh, The Padres fired their hitting coach yet again after last season. Mm -hmm. Austin Hedges and Manny Margot, uh, it's still very inconsistent offensively. And I think if you're the Padres, there's a lot of reasons for optimism within this farm system, particularly on the pitching side. But at the same time, you know, if Eric Hosmer and Will Myers don't bounce back, if Hunter Renfro, Austin Hedges, and Manny Margot don't become the hitters they, they have a chance to be, it's still hard to see a path to this team, you know, competing for division titles. Mm-hmm. This team, again, this isn't a squad that's, oh, you know, one or two pieces away. I mean, yeah, particularly think, given the division they're playing in, the team right, ahead of them. This is a team that's 25 to 30 games back of the first mm-hmm. place team every year. 
one or two big hit prospects aren't going to be enough. They need the guys yeah. at the major league level to start performing better in addition to these prospects no hitting. They have had, they've been 16 games or more out of first place dating back to 2011. So it's not like they're on the cusp or close. There's significant ground to be made up. Made up. And hopefully some of these uh, prospects who are about to make their way into the major leagues kind of form the basis of that. So with that said, just kind of my perspective of this system as someone who didn't do the top 30 like you did, obviously you're intimately familiar with these guys, is we always talk about the Braves and the amount of pitching depth that that team has. When I look at this system, especially the top 10, uh, I feel like this is a team that maybe with some of the Braves' graduations is a team that competes with them on the mound uh, with the pitching depth they have, particularly left-handed pitching. I, I would struggle to come up with another team that has the amount of impressive left-handed prospects that the Padres have at the moment. Do you think the Padres have overtaken the Braves in terms of pitching depth in the minor league system, or is it still too far off to say that? I think it's hard to say that just because the Braves have a ton of these guys, and they've also made their major league debuts mm -hmm. or are going to be back in AAA next year. They, they've proven it at higher levels, held up over 120 innings, proven their stuff plays mm -hmm. and their ability to sequence and locate plays against AA, AAA hitters. The Padres have a lot of really promising pitchers, but it's still a lot of guys in the lower minors who in some cases have yet to throw 100 innings in a season. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chris Paddock did get up to double A, but most of the year was in high A after, after Tommy John and got shut down to 90 innings. Luis Patino, low A, 83 innings. Mackenzie Gore had some blister issues, yep. uh, missed a lot of time, also low A. So I, I think if you were to say right now which team is uniquely positioned pitching-wise to, to have the best group mm -hmm. of talent ascending to the majors, I still would put the Braves yeah. ahead of the Padres, but with graduations and some of these guys maybe making a move yeah. into the upper minors next year, I think that could change. So what, in totality, looking at the whole system, what makes the Padres the number one team? What do you think is, I mean, it's a combination of obviously a lot of good players, uh, but if pitching doesn't get it done, I imagine some of these hitters, you've got Fernando Tatis, Luis Sirius, Francisco Mejia, all in the top five, very close to making an impact on the major league. Is that the difference then? A lot of it is the top-level talent is unmatched anywhere in baseball. You look at the top seven prospects, and I mentioned this in the chat, a lot of these guys are very worthy number one-type prospects mm -hmm. in a lot of systems in baseball. You even look at numbers eight and nine, you know, Logan Allen, a lefty with, you know, a four-pitch mix who Texas League Pitch of the Year and, and looked really good in AAA and is probably going to be in the majors at 22. That would be a number one prospect in, in a couple systems as mm -hmm. well. And you know, Josh Naylor, things started to click with him at the bat, and a plus hit, plus power, left-handed hitter who's, again, on track to be in AAA in his early 20s, you know, 21, 22, mm -hmm. would also be a number one prospect in, in some of the systems in baseball. So you've got this huge top-level talent. Yeah. And then you've also got depth that is, frankly, unmatched anywhere in, in baseball. Uh, you go into, you know, the prospects in the 20s, you'll see guys with grades that would be number eight or nine prospects mm -hmm. in a lot of other systems. So... You have that top-level talent. You have that depth. And the Padres deserve a lot of credit for that. I, I will say at the same time, when you pick in the top 10 three years in a row, you spend $80-plus million on the international market, including penalties and overages. Mm -hmm. And you trade, I mean, so many veteran for prospect trades over the last three or four years, really starting in 2016, I should say. You better have a really good farm yeah. system. So, so on the one no hand, yes, they deserve credit for building the system and hitting on those opportunities. But this is also kind of the natural outgrowth of the path they took. Mm. And now is going to be the tricky part because the Padres, and I think anyone who's watched this team for a, you know the last 10 years has known and seen, 
over different general managers, over different player development groups, mm -hmm. over different owners, there's been a fairly steady failure to develop guys to be lasting impact players at yeah. the major league level, at least for the Padres. Sometimes, a lot of times, they get better after they leave San Diego. <laughs> so I think now the trick is gonna be for the Padres filling that gap because, mm -hmm. again, being a great prospect and becoming a really good major leaguer are two very different yeah. things. And the Padres historically have really struggled to bridge that gap. And again, I mentioned some of the Hedges and Margot, those two in particular, the struggles they've had and the fact they aren't really showing steps forward yeah. in the areas they need to has created some hesitation where that infrastructure is in place. So I think for the Padres, just because you have this great farm system, mm -hmm. it does not automatically equal wins. They've got to get the hitting development right at yeah. the big league level. That's been a systemic issue in that organization for, for well over a decade. Mm -hmm. And they, they've got to, again, get the guys that are in the big leagues to really start performing. Yeah. Otherwise, okay, you go from 66 to 78 wins. That, that's not where they want to get to. Yeah, You touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, the, the Latin and international talent that they have specifically, there are a number of guys in the top 10 that fall into that category. And whether that's players who are originally signed by the Padres or international players who are acquired by other teams and then the Padres decided to make a trade for. I mean, the number one guy in the system, uh, Fernando Tatis, was acquired by trading James Shields, a trade that to this point looks like the Padres absolutely won. Uh, if he pans out as we all expect him to, then you have other guys like Luis Sirius, Francisco Mejia, another guy who was traded for, and guys who the team acquired themselves, Adrian Morajon, Luis Patino. How impressive is the uh, the international scouting, and, and how much of an impact does that have on this team? Is it just the top 10 right here that we're talking about, or is it throughout the system as well? It's throughout the system. When you get your prospect handbooks, you'll see a very distinct international flavor. Mm -hmm. And you go back to the Rangers, then they were you know consistently making the postseason, yep. made back-to-back -back World Series. Success scouting at the international level was really the hallmark of a lot of the Rangers' success, uh, both in terms of the players they brought to the big leagues themselves mm -hmm. and players they were able to use in trades to go get some final pieces. And that's where A.J. Preller kind of cut his teeth. Uh, you know, Chris Kemp, who, who did some domestic scouting uh, previously, but it, it became their international director here. Mm -hmm. It's a very international-minded um, front office yeah. in, in terms of the staff that A.J. Preller put together. And that was kind of an expectation right off the bat that, you know, with this group, we were going to see a flurry of international talent come through. And again, some of it is guys they acquired via trade who they had some history with. Mm -hmm. Some of these are guys who go back to the previous regime. You know, Luis Urias was signed before A.J. Preller took over. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw Denelson Lamette come up. He's yeah, back in 2013 for Urias. Uh, Denelson Lamette, Franchi Cordero. These were guys who were signed pre-Preller. -pre um, so, so I think there's no question, though, that there's been an added emphasis on developing, scouting and developing international talent uh, in addition to kind of consolidating the international talent within the system mm -hmm. and trying to build off that. For sure, well let's go ahead and jump into one of these guys. Obviously Fernando Tatis is where we'll start. He's the number one prospect. Uh, signed out of the Dominican Republic in 2015 by the White Sox, again acquired uh, in the James Shield trade in uh, 2016, I believe. Um, was he the locked in number one guy for the system? Was there any question or debate with you there? No, I mean, there was no question or debate with me, no question or debate with the Padres internally, no question or debate with... Although you know uh, when you asked, huh? Uh, you know, opposing scouts. Uh, Fernando Tatis has a chance to be a special, special ball player, but also a special representative for the franchise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you go back and look, the Padres, uh, you look back at their, their all-stars the last couple of years, it's a lot of relievers and, and one-off yeah. guys. Uh, they haven't really had anyone consistent in that regard since Adrian Gonzalez. 
Fernando Tatis, it's more than just the skills, though, right? Mm -hmm. It's his ability to adapt and adjust, which you know we saw both at Low A last year and at Double A this past season uh, before he you know, went down with his thumb injury. The strikeout rate drops every month. The mm -hmm. walk rate increases every month. He's just an incredibly smart young man. Uh, and even that goes beyond you know baseball. Just talk to him. He's incredibly mature. He's not quite bilingual, but he's very, very close. Mm -hmm. uh, learned English very, very rapidly. Has a great presence about him. Very personable. The Padres have not had a face of the franchise type performer or, or person, really. Mm -hmm. Since Jake Peavy, I mean, Adrian Gonzalez was very talented, but anyone who, who covered the Padres at that time or, or knows Adrian's personality, it was yeah. very reserved. He wasn't the biggest guy when it came to you know, kind of being open and representing mm -hmm. the franchise in that way. And, and I think Tatis can really give the Padres a shot in the arm, both with his skills, the personality he provides, and shortstop has been a black hole for the Padres yes. <laughs> since Khalil Green kind of, uh, you know, everything kind of went downhill there in 2008. So... He fills a position of need, he provides an injection of talent, and he's got the personality. Uh, this is a very complete number one mm -hmm. prospect. He's one of the top five prospects in the game and someone the Padres and their fans are rightfully very excited about. Yeah, plus tools across the board outside of the hit tool, I believe. And then one question I have with him is how concerned are you with the strikeouts? You mentioned his strikeout rate a bit there, but he struck out 27% of the time compared to an 8% walk rate at double A. Uh, he had 88 games there and hit 286, 355, 507 um, with 16 home runs. But he struck out 109 times compared to 33 walks. Is that a concern for you, or does he make up for it in just all the other areas where he provides great value for you? I think the reason it's a little less of a concern than it would be with other prospects is how quickly he adjusts. Mm -hmm. A lot of those we've seen really the last two years, again, it starts out really high, and every single month it gets better. Yeah. You know, he's got kind of a... A rhythmic swing with a lot of moving parts to it and, and we've seen two years in a row now you know coming out the gate a couple things aren't where they need to be whether it's you know his head position uh, leg kick just a lot of little things that if they're not perfectly in sync you can get off to balance off time and that's mm -hmm. all the difference but he generally self-corrects he takes instruction well so, so I think that you're the Padres look in a perfect world would you like to see him striking out 20% of the time yeah but yeah. Uh, again, the fact that he's self-correct, he's been extremely young every level he's played. You see the ability to take instruction, put into effect uh, the things he's being told. I don't think it's something to really, really worry about. I, I do think it would probably be a situation where Padres fans need to not expect him to come up and light the world on fire yeah. his first month in the majors. We've seen he kind of needs an adjustment period, mm -hmm. but... He'll get there. But he has a chance to debut one. He's just 20 years old, too. So exactly. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Now, he's, he's a bona fide number one guy in the system, a bona fide mm -hmm. top five prospect in baseball, and um, someone Padres fans are and, and should rightfully be very excited about. Yeah, no doubt. And then at number two, we go to Mackenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher, the first of their many left-handers drafted out of Whiteville, North Carolina, just uh, a few hours down the road from us here in Durham. Uh, the 2017 first overall pick for the Padres, obviously. Uh, his debut, he really lit the Arizona League on fire, was one of the best prospects scouts had seen there in a long time. 2018 fell back to earth a little bit, in part because of the blister issues. Uh, was What can you take from a 2018 season where he really doesn't get on the mound that much? I mean, just six innings, I guess it's more than his debut, but not as much as you want to see him on the mound. He had to take some time off, deal with that. And then when he was, the blisters seemed to limit him. Is it all because of the blisters? Can you basically chalk that season up? For the injuries. most part, yeah. You know, that was something I really tried to dig in on my conversation with, with mm -hmm. both Padres front office officials and opposing scouts. And 
he just couldn't grip the ball the way he needed to. Yeah. I mean, these things came back, uh, you know, twice during the season, and they came back a third time at the end of August, and the Padres just shut him down after mm -hmm. that. It's a situation where, you know, you saw the athleticism, and the few starts where everything was healthy and comfortable, you saw it. He, mm -hmm. he had a really good start in July. I think it's just a situation where more worried than, oh, is he, you know, not what we thought he was. It's just, can these blisters, you know, get under control? Mm -hmm. um, but Again, when you can't, you know, grip your fastball the way you need to, the command, you know, it, it, it's not coming out of your hand right. And then especially on the breaking balls, yeah. you know, I talked about he wasn't able to kind of snap his wrist or maneuver his hand position yeah. the way he needed to. So it really did all come down to the blisters, but the velocity was there, the athleticism was there, mm -hmm. the kind of uh, competitive, I'm going to rip your head off makeup mm -hmm. was there. I think you kind of want to give him a mulligan. And again, he wasn't great in the Midwest League. Mm -hmm. It's not like he got his doors blown off. Like, he did okay. You'd like to have seen more, but mm -hmm. when you consider he was very stop and start on the mound, he was really only completely healthy for a couple of those. Yeah, he started 16 games through 16 and two-thirds innings total with a 4.45 ERA, but he still struck out 11 per nine and walked 2.7, which is down from the three he walked his 2017 season. So they're not bad numbers by any means. It's still in there just really want to see what he looks like when he gets out to like Elsinore next mm -hmm. year you know he's out of the cold weather the Midwest League more back in those you know he's, he's North Carolina boys mm -hmm. used to the warm weather that was something the Padres talked a lot about and really seeing if the warm weather helps his blister issues and I think that's going to be probably the single most interesting subplot of, of the Padres minor league season next yeah. year just the health of Mackenzie Gore and, and whether or not he can really avoid these blisters coming back you know a fourth fifth sixth time because then it starts to become a a real issue that that will affect his prospect stock. Yeah, no, it'll be fun. Hopefully, he can get out there and get healthy and put these behind him. He was one of the one of the only players in the system that I got to put eyes on personally leading up to the draft year, and, and he was one of the best prep pitchers I've seen, just with kind of the command of a four pitch repertoire, just that leg kick. I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen it at this point, but if you haven't, just YouTube it. It's really wild. Uh, but he's a tremendous athlete and has plenty of talent. So hopefully, he can get on the mound more consistently this next year. Uh, moving into number three, we've got Luis Sirius. Hopefully, uh, he's going to make an impressive double play combination with Tatis in the future. Uh, but he's a guy who really has already had a little shot in the majors, already had a little bit of time. Um, I guess when we get into this post-Tatis range here, two, three, four, uh, what's kind of the next tier afterwards? And, and how did how easy was it for you to pencil in Arias here for number three? It was a conversation between uh, three, four, and five, Arias Mejia and Morjon, um, but ultimately Luis Arias, you know, uh, those of you who, who know me, when I, you know, first uh, took this job, I'd already been watching Lake Elsinore closely at my previous job, and, mm -hmm. you know, that was the year Javier Guerra was the number one prospect, and, and Luis Arias is behind him at second base, and I'm watching this team consistently, I'm like, they got the wrong guy, like, Guerra's <laughs> not the guy, Arias is the guy. Yeah. Um, Again, just a very gifted hitter. The hand-eye coordination, the ability to just consistently get the barrel to the ball. I think with Luis Urias, again, he was number three because, you know, again, the performance is there, middle of the diamond defense is there. He actually got a little bit faster last year, too. Uh, he's shown he can ably fill in as kind of a solid average shortstop, mm -hmm. uh, you know, facing, you know, again, at, at that higher level at AAA. I think the number one thing with Luis Urias, and, and I might be in the minority here, and I still think he's going to have a very good career, mm -hmm. I was actually a little bit higher on him two years ago than I am now, which yep. might seem counterintuitive because I ranked him higher this year. <laughs> um, I think there, you know, there's a lot of talk about getting the ball in the air more and launch angle, and those are all good things. You yep. don't want to, you know, hit ground balls all day. But there's also a point where 
guys who are really their success is based in their ability to identify balls from strikes, to make pitchers come to them, and to just consistently have a smooth line drive stroke mm-hmm. that stays in the zone a long time and hit it hard on the line to the outfield. That's the basis of their success. Yeah. And some of those guys, when they try and get too much into the launch angle or too much into getting the ball, getting you know the ball in the air, they start sacrificing a lot of that plate discipline. The bats in and out of the zone quicker. The contact goes down, and you know, again, there's certain players that it works out for, but but Luis Urs, just the way he is, you know, his power is going to come from he's continuing to hit balls hard on a line. He's squaring up, you know, fastballs where the pitcher kind of supplies the power. Mm-hmm. A lot of his home runs are all fastballs, 96 to, to 102 even. Um, you know, when he starts trying to launch and lift, he loses a little bit of, of what makes him successful. Mm-hmm. Um, he still was able to, you know, kind of find that middle ground at AAA toward the end last year, but there was a chunk where it wasn't, it wasn't, Bad, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah, his strikeout rate at AAA last year was the highest of his career at 20.5%. Previous to that, the high was in AA the year previous, and it was 124 So that's a pretty noticeable jump in K rate. Yeah, and I think, you know, you compound that with just, frankly, the difficulties the Potters have had um, getting the most out of their offensive position players when they get to the big league mm-hmm. level. I think I have a few more questions about Luis Urias's hitting now than I did two years ago because mm-hmm. some of the changes, you know, and again, I, a little added power is always nice, but just the way his yeah. swing works, the way his... He did have eight home runs, which is also a career high. So. And, and you know, doubles and triples, it's all great, and, and you want that. I'm just concerned that, you know, look, a guy who hits 310 with seven home runs is more valuable than a guy who hits 260 with 12 home runs. Mm-hmm. And I think, for me, Luis Urias's value is going to come more if he can just be himself, and the thing is, I, I think he, he's a smart kid with natural hitting instincts, and I think eventually it'll all work out. I'm betting on him, you know, kind of finding that middle ground between, okay, let's keep my leg kick a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, focus less on launch angle and just hitting the baseball hard and knowing it'll carry out with my natural, you know, bat speed, hand-eye coordination. Um, I just, again, I think the combination of the trend line, some way, the way some things went, plus with Again, the Potters' real struggles to get the most out of their young mm-hmm. hitters, the major league level. I have a few more questions than I did two years ago, but clearly we still think he's a premium prospect, number three in a great system. Uh, you'll see when the top 100 comes out, he should firmly be in the top 50. It's just a matter of, okay, are we talking about a batting title contender here if his approach is where it needs to be, mm-hmm. or does he go mm-hmm. in and out of it and it's more okay production than excellent production? Yep. No doubt. All right, let's jump into number four, Francisco Mejia, again, acquired from the Indians last year prior to the trade deadline for Brad Hand and Adam Simber. Uh, He's a guy who got 21 games, I believe, at the major league level, one game with the Indians prior to the trade, and then 20 games with the Padres near the end of the year, but spent most of his time in AAA. He's a guy who uh, we've had defensive questions a little bit beforehand, um, but obviously a very talented hitter. Uh, What's kind of the consensus on what he's going to be moving forward defensively? The Padres obviously have hedges, as we've talked about before. Um, is he going to be the Padres catcher of the future? Is he a guy that can supplant hedges, or are they just going to find a spot to put his bat somewhere? Both? Tough, I, I mean, tough that, that, that's, that's kind of the thing, right? Um, you know, I think a lot of times when we're talking about young kids, 21, 22-year-olds, we're definitively saying mm-hmm. what's going to happen, when in reality, a lot of it comes back to what they do, the choices they make in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, the changes and the adjustments that they're willing to kind of put into their, their game. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Francisco Mejia, the number one question Padres fans always ask is, can he catch, can he catch? <laughs> In my discussions with opposing evaluators, the answers range from he can't catch to it's going to depend if he wants to. Yeah. Um, he's been very vocal about his desire to catch. He says he wants to catch, but... Just the, to put it out there, prior to when he was with the Indians, he spent... 41 of his games at catcher, and then he also had 22 games in left and seven in right field. When the Padres acquired him, all of his games in AAA were spent behind the dish, so it seems like there's more of an effort to get him that time regularly. And, and there is, and the Padres, the number one outcome for them is that all, you know Francisco Mejia becomes a catcher and, and stays that way, but you look at it, you know, he caught 10 games with the Padres and he had four pass balls mm -hmm. and three wild pitches he allowed to happen as well, but it's mostly you know, four pass balls in 10 games isn't going to fly. And that's the big thing with him is mm -hmm. the athleticism is there, the talent to do it is there. But even dating back to the end of 2016, you know, his ability to focus and, and really be where he needs to be as a receiver for, you know, 120-plus pitches a game for, you know, nine innings day in and mm -hmm. day out, it is exhausting. It is taxing. Um, and some guys struggle with it more than others. And, again, Francisco Mejia has said all the right things. I want to catch. I see myself as a catcher. But sometimes his performance mm -hmm. and the level of, um, I don't want to say effort, but just, just what he does back there does mm -hmm. not always reflect those words in the eyes of a lot of evaluators. So I think this will be a big offseason for him. You know, he's in the majors in 2017. He was in the majors in 2018. Mm -hmm. It's going to be up to him. Again, Austin Hedges, just to be frank, has never projected to hit, does no. not project to hit. He got better last year, and it just means he went from being barely playable to a little more playable offensively. Mm -hmm. um, in a perfect world, Aust you know, Francisco Mejia with his bat-to-ball skills, and it's you know not always the prettiest. He'll swing off balance, he'll chase pitches out of the strike zone, but he can hit a lot of different pitches hard and sometimes you know do a little Vladdy Guerrero and hit some balls <laughs> out of the strike zone hard too. If he can just be an average catcher, the total sum of what he will bring offensively and defensively yeah. is greater than what Austin Hedges will bring. But the confidence level that Francisco Mejia can do Gets that average catcher, yeah. is it really varies. Uh, and then even offensively, we saw him swinging at just about everything in the big leagues and even in the minors to a degree. Um, There's a lot of low exit velocities in addition to a higher strikeout mm -hmm. rate because, hey, he's swinging at pitches he can't drive. Uh, so that has to get better too. I think a lot of times when we have prospects who have already made their major league debuts, we view their risk as kind of medium to low. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still kind of a high risk attached to him just because you have the defensive questions about whether or not he can really do this over the course of 120-plus games and be a reliable receiver, plus the swinging strikes just kind of all over the place. I actually ran into a few evaluators at the end who said they were more concerned about his offense than his defense mm -hmm. because his offense is got what's going to have to carry him regardless. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, well, obviously, as we get down the list, more and more questions but pop I, up I with each say, of the guys. We still think highly of him. He's mm -hmm. number four in the system. <laughs> I, you know, we're betting on him figuring it out mm -hmm. because if he does, there's a potential all-star catcher in there. Mm -hmm. It's just there's a the chances that he figures it out are considered lower than the chances Luis Urias figures exactly. It out. Gotcha. All right, rounding out the top five, we have another left-handed pitcher, Adrian Marjone. Uh, he won the MVP at the 15U World Cup in 2014 for Cuba, signed for $11 million with the Padres. Uh, and he's a guy that's kind of continued to fill out his frame, grow into it, add some muscle. Uh, fastball velocity has ticked up lately. 
Um, is he is, is the top five here? Is that kind of round out this top tier? Uh, are there another few guys who are maybe in consideration to be in this top five, or does it just end uh, straight up with Adrian? This is the top tier with okay. Adrian Morhone. Uh, this top five again, Tatis is kind of in his own yeah. tier, number one. Uh, two through five, you could actually scramble in a couple different ways. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of evaluators out there who think you know Adrian Morahone is not behind Mackenzie Gore, but is you know tied with him. Mm -hmm. um, you know what Adrian Morahone has shown is you know the fastball that's actually a little harder than Mackenzie Gore's. Uh, his curveball was a lot more consistent last year because Gore obviously had blister issues. Mm -hmm. He's got a couple of changeups, kind of a knuckle change and a traditional change. They're both weapons. A lot of people really, really like Adrian Morhone and considered him, you know, the number one prospect in the Cal League last year. He was mm -hmm. 19. But yeah, like more than McKenzie, four years younger than the average pitcher in the league through 62 innings with a 3.3 ERA, uh, 10 strikeouts per nine, and 3.4 walks per nine. But like Mackenzie Gore, he has yet to show he can stay on the mound. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a triceps issue. Uh, there, there's been a couple of health issues, even dating back to his days in Cuba. There were questions about his durability and. You know, great stuff is great stuff, but you got to be on the mound to use it. And I think the fact that Morhone was shut down all the second half last year, and the Padres said they were just being cautious. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a teenager. He's still building up. He, he's grown into his body a little bit, so it's still figuring some things out there. But, um, you know, just the, the pure talent is such that, again, you, you could easily argue him as a top 40 or 50 prospect in baseball, just like Mackenzie Gore is. And, mm -hmm. and very close to one another, but uh, he's going to have to show he can stay on the mound, and I think as long as he does that, we'll continue to see his stock rise, but again, it's, we all know with pitchers, you know, if you have five of them, maybe one of them will, will be a big league starter. That's exactly. The way this, this works, so we'll find out which one of these guys it is, but he's, he's shown the talent to justify mm -hmm. being ranked this high, and at the end of the day, we're going to bet on the talent. Yeah, and then speaking of pitchers, and, and just the, the unlikelihood that they actually all reach their potential or their ceilings. We talked about a couple of these guys who have dealt with injury issues. Number six is right-hander Chris Paddock. Uh, after the Padres traded for him from the Marlins a few years ago, he had Tommy John surgery, uh, but he had a very impressive comeback from that this year. Uh, what did we learn about Chris Paddock after a, a missed season? That after 22 months, he didn't miss a beat. I mean, taking almost two years off of pitching mm -hmm. from, from the moment he walked off the mound in Fort Wayne to, to his first game back at Lake Elsinore was, was about 22 months mm -hmm. and didn't yeah, miss just, a beat. Just to sum it up for you guys, he threw 90 innings. That's 52 at Lake Elsinore, as Cal just said, and then 37 more at San Antonio and AA. Across both leagues, he put up a 2.10 ERA, 2.10 with phenomenal strikeout to walk rate, 12 strikeouts per nine, and fewer than one walk per nine innings. That's some impressive control right there. It's uh, 120 strikeouts and eight walks. <laughs> Why is this guy not ranked higher, Kyle? And it's funny, that's actually the question, right? Um, so th the answer to that question is... Because McKenzie Gore is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, yes, these two lefties ahead of him are considered premium prospects. Yes. Uh, I still think Chris Paddock is one of the top 50 prospects in baseball, mm -hmm. but... We're at number six, and we've got top 50. That just, it kind of just speaks to the depth and how impressive the system is. It is, it's really... Which is not a knock, it's not a knock on Chris Paddock that he's here, he's just in a really, you mentioned it earlier at the very beginning, a lot of these guys have cases for top prospects in other systems. He would be number one in a lot of other systems. So this is, a, you're right, it's a testament to the Padres, not a knock on Chris Paddock. Um, in terms of that, the reason he, you know, you, you see those numbers and think, man, this guy could be the number one, two, or three pitching yeah. prospect and right-hander in baseball, and he's pretty consistently not in the eyes of evaluators. 
The reason for that is the track record of right-handers who are successful starters in the majors who throw breaking balls less than 10% of the time as padding There's guys. There's the rub. It's pretty much non-existent. Mm -hmm. There is one guy who's done it and done it well, and that's Kyle Hendricks. And that's kind of the you know exception to the rule. All the mm -hmm. other guys who who you know talk about oh they're fastball curveball or fastball changeup guys. A lot of yeah. them still throw that breaking ball, you know, twenty percent. You know, 20, sometimes even twenty five. With Paddock, you'll see four curveballs in seventy five pitches, mm -hmm. eight curveballs in seventy five pitches, or not even eight, seven. And it's it's kind of slow and loopy. Um, and I think the fact that evaluators so strongly across the board say this guy's going to be a really good major mm -hmm. league starter, is a testament to just how crazy good all his other stuff is. Yeah. His fastball plays up. It's got you know some, some late ride hitters can't quite catch up to. Dials it up and down. His changeup is filthy. His control's insane. So the fact that his breaking ball is as infrequently used mm -hmm. as it is and just not as good as it needs to be, yeah. and yet across the board, every evaluator in baseball loves him and yeah. thinks he's a really good future starter, is a testament to how good he is, but it's you, all number three, number four. Like, exactly. You know, Kyle Hendricks won an ERA title. He made an all-star game, and, and Chris Paddock might be able to do those things, um, but Hendricks is doing them over the course of his career. You know, He's a number three starter on a contending team, which, again, would be a great outcome. And what mm -hmm. the Padres have not had in a long time, that quality of pitcher, it's just not a one or two ace. Yeah. Would you say that the the kind of the confidence that you've been getting from people who see him as a future back end starter down the line, does that is that because his fastball, his changeup, his command is so good that he can he doesn't even need the curveball, or is that factoring in some projection on the curveball and they're acknowledging that yeah, it's probably gonna get a little bit better? Which one of those would you say? Or is there some combination? It's the former. Okay. It's that his fastball, changeup, and control and in command with control are just so good. Yeah that he's going to be able to get away with you know they talk they you know they would still like to see him land a curveball early in the count just mm -hmm. to kind of you know change of you know change it up a little bit on a few hitters but it's never going to be a big part of his arsenal you know he is working on it and he knows it he acknowledges that he you know needs a, a better breaking ball to kind of get mm. to that elite level uh, and you know i give him a lot of credit for being open and honest about his his weaknesses as well as his strengths yeah. not a lot of young men are able to do that um, but at the same time, this has been the story since high school. Like, oh, his curveball needs to get better. And it just, you know, it, it's just not something that a lot of people see happening because it's, it's been the same story for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he'll, he'll flip out a couple that, like, hey, that one had some nice snap at the end. But, you know, nothing consistently enough where you can really say, okay, I think it's at least an average pitch. Yeah. It's pretty firmly you know, a 40-grade pitch, which is a below-average yeah. pitch. You know, a couple of evaluators will say maybe you can see a 45 if he starts throwing it with more conviction, but no one sees it as being really anything more mm -hmm. than a fringier below pitch. But again, fastball's easy plus, changeup's easy plus, control's easy plus. Some of those are, are 70s on the 20-80 yeah. scouting scale. That'll be enough for him to, to be successful at the big league level, again, as that number three, number four, and, and again, the Padres have not had a pitcher, <laughs> even of that caliber, truthfully. I mean, you can argue Tyson Ross's all-star year in 2014, but, I mean, Matt Latos, when he had his head right in 2010, was probably the last time they had a, yeah. a pitcher who could, you know, 
be that level of guy. Well, maybe one of these guys will turn out to be that guy. At number seven, you've got another dart you can throw at the board in Luis Patino, who has no issues at all with a breaking ball. His slider is very impressive. Uh, he's a guy who signed internationally out of Columbia in 2016 and just completed his first full season in 2018 in the Midwest League. Uh, the results seem pretty good there as well. Maybe a little bit of an undersized guy, but the stuff sounds legit. Tell us a little bit about Luis Patino. So he was a shortstop uh, growing up in Colombia and just kind of converted to pitching, you know, late. He was 16. Uh, Padres international director Chris Kemp was down watching a showcase for Colombian prospects. It was a doubleheader, and there was nobody there. You know, he was discouraged. Uh, you know, the good guys had already been taken. The other guys were not interesting. Mm. Uh, but in between games, this doubleheader, there were some bullpens happening. So Chris Kemp goes down, and... This converted shortstop who weighs 150 pounds soaking wet comes out. He's throwing 84, 87, yeah. and his name is Luis Patino. And Kemp, to his credit, you know, again, not focused on the radar gun, just seeing, you know, this kid's good athlete from that shortstop background. He liked the arm action. He's 16, not, not even, I think, at the time. He might have still been 15 at this exact moment. Um, he's going to grow into some more velocity. Yeah, let's take a flyer. Mm -hmm. You know, they gave him some money, not a huge amount. And... They expected him to grow into some more velocity, but no one expected what happened. He put on about 30 to 35 pounds in two years. He's that, listed at six foot 192 pounds right now. And that 84 to 87 is now 95 to 97. Mm. Um, I mean, sometimes you, you take a risk on guys that they'll fill out and they don't. Other times the filling out process happens slowly. This guy it just came overnight, and and again he and worked. it translated. He uh, threw 83.1 innings in Fort Wayne, as previously mentioned. 17 starts, a 2.16 ERA, struck out 10.6 per nine, and walked 2.6. Uh, those are impressive numbers for an 18-year-old. And the other thing with him too that that further elevates him, right? I mean, you see just ridiculous stuff, fastball, slider. Really mature kid. Again, learned English very very quickly. And just how he chooses to kind of set guys up, uh, he you know maneuvers his leg kick a little bit. He actually kind of adopted a Mackenzie Gore leg kick and brought it up pretty. I was about high. to say, are the pa the Padres just targeting wild leg kicks? <laughs> that is the uh... athletes. And that's <laughs> the ability to do it. And they started changing up the timing, changing up how high and low he was going. You know, it, it seems like every single pitcher who messes with the time of their leg kick gets a oh, it looks like a little Johnny Cueto, but. Mm -hmm. When I, was actually I will watching, say that is becoming more prominent on the high school showcases that I've been going to see. A lot of kids are trying to implement that. Ethan Hankins was a guy who would even mess with his timing of his leg kick as well. But, but a lot of kids who do that and then get comp to Johnny Cueto don't have Johnny Cueto's stuff. Exactly. When I watch Luis Patino, Johnny Cueto's 5'11", by the way. I see a lot of Johnny Cueto, the stuff, the athleticism, the leg, you know, the leg you know, changing. And, and the other thing with him he pitches with an exuberance. Like, he hmm. gets his entire team hyped when he's on the mound. But it's not like an immature exuberance. Yeah. It's like a, get on my back, boys. Let's go have some fun today. Like, the type of thing you want to see from a starting pitcher. I think this kid, again, if you told me, if we looked back five years from now, and this is the guy who's had the best big league career of all these pitchers in front of him, no one should be shocked. I mean, this is, you know, he's only thrown 83 innings in low A. Mm -hmm. 
smaller guys who put on that much velocity that quick, there's always injury concern there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he flashes you the curveball and changeup. They're still on the come. You know, lefties hit him pretty good last year because the changeup wasn't as consistent as it needed to be. So there's a lot left to happen. But you can dream on a guy, and it's not irrational mm-hmm. dreaming that he becomes a, you know, we talk about, you know, what's a, a three or two. Uh, again, Johnny Cueto is a number two caliber starter on, on a World Series team. Mm-hmm. But Luis Patino can be that guy. There's no question about it. Yeah, I will say to point to your splits comment against right-handed batters, uh, Patino was absolutely shut down. They hit just 140, 197, 173. It's good for a 370 OPS. Uh, and versus left-handed batters, and, and a decent chunk, a decent sample, hit 345, 421, 457 uh, with the only home run that he gave up last year. So that'll be worth watching moving forward, but uh, I don't know if it's worth getting too crazy concerned over until uh, we kind of see it over a longer period of time. So we'll see. And that, that's the kicker, right? As incredible as this looked, and you, you're bullish on him, I'm bullish on him, it was 83 innings in low A. Mm-hmm. There's a long way to go exactly. before, you know, again, I talked about it's not irrational to see Johnny Cueto five years down the road, but that's still in the context of low A pitching prospects. Yeah. Like, they're, these guys are so volatile that get excited, but, you know, don't start making plans mm-hmm. for him to be, you know, rookie of the year 2023. Like, yeah. you know, let him grow, let him develop, let him be him, and we'll see what the final product looks like in two, three years. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it seems like one through seven of the Padres is just different, a whole different animal from the guys following that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like eight through 10 is a drop-off from Luis Patino. Uh, not to say that these are bad prospects by any means, but do you think that's fair? And, and who of the Logan Allen, Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill uh, really sticks out to you or do you want to touch on? I know we've spent a little bit more time on the Padres system, but as the top system in, in the league, I think that's fair. Yeah, so I think you can say there is a drop-off and that 1-7 to seven are all guys who are probably top 50 prospects in baseball or close. That's wild. It is pretty wild. <laughs> um, but don't quote me on this, Padres fans. The top 100 has been out yet. That's my opinion. My other colleagues might feel differently. but, but Soon I, we'll have that solidified. But for now, uh, just get optimistic if you want, Padres fans. And, and you have my permission to go attack Kyle on Twitter if, if you're wrong. So. Whereas Logan Allen and Josh Naylor are not seen in the top 50 range. But they are still seen pretty safely in the top 100 guys. Mm-hmm. And that would, again, make them you know, still number one prospects in a good you know, couple systems in baseball, especially yep. ones toward the bottom. You know, I talk about no one should be shocked if Luis Patino has a better career than all these guys ahead of him. No one should be shocked if Logan Allen does. You know, it's not like you know, big velo. It's 90-93. He's average 91. That, that's who he is. That's what he's averaged the last three years. But comes right after hitters, he, you know, aggressive, attacks them, no fear, actually has a four-pitch mix, which none of these other guys really have yet. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie Gore, you can dream on it, but it's not there yet. Yeah. You know, Alex, I'm optimistic personally about Mackenzie Gore. I think if he has, if he can figure out the blister issue, I think he'll be fine. But And most like people you said, do. You need to see it. And Logan Allen just won the Texas League Pitch of the Year last year in A as a 21-year-old. Went up to AAA El Paso, which is a very difficult place to pitch, more than held his own. Again, there's a very real chance, you know, all these other guys, you know, A ball or third pitch development, just something, you know, doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy who ends up having the most stable, steady career of all of them. That, that should not shock anyone if that's the outcome. Obviously, it's not what we're predicting. <clears throat> But it would not be a crazy outcome. Yeah, five starts in the PCL, as you just mentioned, with a 1.63 ERA. The ERA was actually lower than it was in the Texas League, which is surprising when anyone goes to the PCL. 
uh, 8.5 strikeouts per nine and 4.2. Over the course of the whole season, that's 9.1 strikeouts per nine and 3.1 walks per nine. So 148 innings, very solid numbers in challenging places to pitch. Uh, that's impressive for Logan Allen. Yeah, again, really, really fine young pitcher. Um, you know, there's obviously always things to, to kind of correct or fix, but you know, he's the guy of all these other pitching prospects you can get jazzed about. Mm -hmm. He's the one who will be in the majors this year, first at least, and the one that I expect to, not that there's ever not a learning curve, mm -hmm. but, but I think he's the one that I would anticipate adapting quickest just because he has the four different pitches. He really improved his durability. Uh, he completed uh, six innings and in, I believe 16 of his 19 starts last year. He, he's the guy for whom the, the learning curve is gonna be shortest just mm -hmm. in terms of his durability his level of performance, the, the mix he has. I expect him to, to be a, a solid part of the Padres mm -hmm. 2019 and likely their 2020 rotations as well. Well, awesome. Uh, unless you have anything to say about Josh Naylor and Cal Quantrill, I'm sure people have had some time to ask you questions about those two guys in previous chats and, and on Twitter and wherever. Uh, is there any guy in the 11 through 30 range who sticks out to you as a sleeper, a guy who could jump up with an improved season, a few adjustments? Uh, you got some 2018 draft guys in there and Ryan Weathers, uh, Xavier Edwards in that kind of 10 to 25 range. I won't spoil it for you. You got to go order a prospect handbook if you want this specific uh, order for these guys and of course the full reports. But who sticks out to you outside of this top 10 range? And all you can't of, say all 11. of the above. <laughs> I mean, that's what's so impressive about this group, right? Um, you know, Josh Naylor was a pretty secure number nine, just mm -hmm. what he showed, uh, hitting as he did in San Antonio, mm -hmm. which is not a pitcher, uh, not a hitter friendly park at all. There's a lot of debate at 10. I ultimately went Quantrill because there's three pitches there. The other guys, it's there's two pitches or there's an injury. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, that's the beauty of the system, right? Uh, you go all the way down to the 20s. It's guys who would be top 10 in a lot of other systems. Uh, Xavier Edwards is, is probably the guy that got a lot of people internally uh, within the Padres organization very, very excited. Uh, he was the 30th overall pick this year. And he really would have gone higher, except for the fact he's listed at 5'10", 155, mm -hmm. and that is a very generous listing, having stood next to him at yes, that Padres same. game. He probably, I would be surprised if he actually was. Uh, I think it's probably closer to 5'7". Yeah, he's um, very small, he's very fast, he's got really good hand-eye coordination, very athletic. Um, very savvy, so too. It's, it's not just, you know, oh, it's tools. Like he's, he's a fun player to watch. He is. It's it's electric, you know, the hands, the speed, the footwork. Um, yeah, how about this? 346, 453, 409 between the Arizona League uh, and Tri-City and Low-A. He sold 22 bases and was caught just once, walked 31 times and struck out 25 times. So those numbers are extremely impressive for a high school kid in his first taste of pro ball, <laughs> getting outside of rookie ball. Yeah, as an 18-year-old, that's phenomenal. I mean, he in the draft class, he had one of the more polished hit tools as a switch hitter. He had near top of the scale speed, so he's got a lot of things to be excited about. I'm glad you pointed him out. Yeah, this is someone that I think very realistically could be in the top 10 this time next year. Um, again, just go out and, and show how it all works against mm -hmm. you know full season competition. But there's nothing in Xavier Edwards' game right? you can say, ah, you know, I'm, I'm really worried about this. He's, Maybe power. Maybe power. Critical on him. But again, I, I think. Even if he is that, you know, high contact, old school leadoff type mm -hmm. who can play in the middle of the diamond. Yeah. He doesn't need power to be valuable, but if you're going to critique it, I guess you could go. And, and that's where, you know, we'll see how it develops. We've seen smaller, shorter guys who consistently hit the baseball hard. You know, the ball travels a long way mm -hmm. at the major league level now. Um, he's a guy, you see Tirso Ornelas, who's kind of the opposite of a big left-handed, you know, corner bat type, but 
that's real power there with some really, really uh, impressive hand-eye, uh, excuse me, uh, impressive plate discipline. Mm -hmm. Th those are probably the two guys I look at. Um, Reggie Lawson took some really big strides last year. And these are all guys that, you know, weren't even in the conversation in the top 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, all these guys, you know, don't just project to be, you know, big leaguers, but everyday big leaguers. They have a chance to be. Um, mm -hmm. They're all far away. Again, you take three guys in A ball or lower who all have a chance to be everyday big leaguers. The odds are one will probably become that, one will become more of a contributor, and the other one will get hurt or something will go wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, the Potters have amassed a, a really large collection of talent, their strength in numbers, and it's gonna really start hitting. Uh, we saw, you know, the last two years, it's come up a little bit. Uh, the, the second wave a little bit came up last year mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, Joey Lucchese, Eric Lauer getting established in the rotation, uh, Urias making his debut, Mejia making his Padres debut uh, in September after they acquired him in a trade. I think this coming year we'll start to see uh, probably the first of, uh, you know, a, a larger-ish wave, particularly mm -hmm. on the pitching side. And then after that, the hitters will start coming. So, so you can see the consistent waves coming through. Um, again, the biggest thing now for, for all this talent and all this excitement, you know, you can find systems that have had this amount of talent and have mm -hmm. gone on to win a World Series. And you can find systems with this level of talent who never even had a winning season because there were, even, and even with successful development, I look at the 2013 Marlins, they had this level of talent. Mm they got all their guys the majors and got them successful in the majors but because there was a lot of unfilled holes around them in mm -hmm. terms of major league acquisitions there was ownership instability um, you know nothing's ever guaranteed so i think it's it's a good time for you know potters fans to be excited about you know the talent that's going to hopefully be uh, stepping on the field at petco park the next year two three but I think there's there I don't think there is a lot of skepticism yeah. within the greater San Diego fan base because they've been burned previously, and it's gonna take you know these guys being successfully transitioned to the big league level, and you know good moves in terms of filling in the guys mm -hmm. around them before I think we start to see this exciting talent translate to consistent wins at yep. the major league level. That's going to be the biggest challenge for this group, um, and, and we'll see. I mean, there's, there's been times before where it's been a little more depressing to be a Padres <laughs> fan, where you're in last place and your system's empty. So Oof. they've made steps in the right direction in this regard, and now it's just about uh, making right the, the right decisions at, at the top level, which mm -hmm. at the end of the day is all that really matters. Exactly. Well, we'll see. It'll be fun to watch as it plays out, Kyle. I appreciate you breaking down all these guys for us. Uh, I'm sure the listeners, Padres fans, just prospect fans everywhere appreciated it. Um, if you have not yet, you can order a prospect handbook at BaseballAmerica.com. If you order directly from us, you'll get an additional supplement that no one else will get uh, that'll have reports on players who are outside of the top 30 but who could make an impact on every major league club this season. So that's a, a nice little addition to the package that has, what, 900 full scouting reports? That's what the number is? Yep. I can do math. Uh, for Kyle, I'm Carlos Glaza. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.